HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes it feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Today is May 22nd, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni on Beer Sessions Radio. Here we are in Roberta's in Bushwick with Jen Swartman from The Blind Tiger. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm awesome. And um, here we are. I don't have my headset on, so I don't hear a thing, but I'm trying to talk to you I don't hear anything either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So cool. Technical difficulties. So we got um, Matt Bean here from Men's Health. Uh, He is a a great beer writer, a a real fan of beer, and we're really happy to have you on the air tonight. Um, Awesome to be here. Thanks for coming on, man. So you you are a star from Savor, the the great... uh, beer event in washington dc which is coming up in june you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah it kind of felt like beer prom in a way because the building itself was just was just ridiculous they had these huge columns going up about 200 feet just lit up like it was some kind of gala event and uh brewers from all across the country uh members of uh the brewers association um uh, group were there pouring some of their finest stuff. This was this was not one of those festivals where it's just distributors hanging out or um, you know people that are volunteering that might not know as much about the beers. The, the brewers all rolled out and they got decked out. That's part of the. That's one of the requirements, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't just uh, find a guy on the street that likes beer and, and shove him into the uh, booth. So there were really knowledgeable folks on hand to tell you about all these beers. Really excellent beers themselves. I mean, this was not just the run of the mill. Um, this is our volume play type juice. Um, and then they had, of course, the salons on the side, which is what I, I was a part of. This was a um, a pair off. They called it a smackdown last year, but uh, this year I guess they're trying to go kinder and gentler. Although so far, the uh, the build up has been pretty hot and heavy. Um, they're just trying to call it a pair off this year, but I think it's going to be a smackdown. We've got uh, Jeff from DC Brow, Chuck from G- Green Flash, Scott from Amagang, and uh, and then I'll be representing. Um, 
the non-brewers, so it is kind of intimidating for me. Although last year and defending your uh, title, defending right? my crown, um, I won by just one vote last year. Um, the basic format is that they give you the dish. Um, this year's is a rhubarb crisp. Uh, which we have here in front of us. It's delicious. Um, they gave you a recipe. So they gave you us could the recipe. Okay. Uh, that was actually from Adam um, from uh, from Monks. He competed last year. Last year was bacon wrapped dates, um, which is they're just phenomenal. And uh, what I chose to pair with yeah. that was a sour from Two Brothers. I'm from Chicago. Um, and I'm a huge fan of, of sours, and I had some of the the funky stuff that they were putting out um, at the time called Askew. Um, really excellent beer, and I just I just love those guys. So they came out. We had a good old time. It's a blind um, presentation, so everyone kind of votes based on um, how the pairing uh, tastes, and then you get up and kind of bloviate and blather on and and try to sway the crowd in your favor and. Uh, I'm not sure that my pairing was necessarily the best, but I really tried the hardest um, in terms of um, swaying public opinion, and uh, and it and it was successful. This year is going to be a tough one, though. Wow, man, that's pretty cool. Um, do you do a lot of beer and food pairings, Matt? Well, I drink a lot and I eat a lot, <laughs> so uh, I may not uh, set out to pair beer with food, but it sort of happens when you got an appetite like mine uh, and you can put food away. So what did you bring for us tonight? Um, I've got a few different uh, styles of beer. Um, I'm not sure any of which I'll necessarily choose individually, but um, I've got a goose. Um, I've got a really interesting selection from Sam Adams Barrel Room. It's called the Stony Brook Red. Um, it's Belgian style. Um, it's really interesting. It's It's got some toasted oak to it. Um, Jim is just doing some great stuff with that barrel room um, up there. Let's try that. And, we, and I brought a, a Leipziger Goza. Let's let's try both of those. Yeah. Yeah. And let's uh, taste one. what we can of, of the rhubarb. What is this rhubarb thing that you brought? Uh, my girlfriend Jisoo made this fantastic uh, rhubarb crisp, which we got the, the recipe from Adam. She doesn't want to talk about it. She's shy. Um, <laughs> Let's pass that around, and we'll, we'll all cut it and have a little bite. And we'll see what, what goes with this. Is it a savory rhubarb pie or a sweet rhubarb it's pie? It's very sweet. Um, it's got a pistachio crust, which I think it, it actually sort of changes the flavor profile just a little bit. So I'm going to pop this uh, sand barrel room here. Try not to put anybody's eye out. I'm, I'm trying the Leipzig Goza. We, we did a bunch of uh, sour events at Jimmy's number 43, and the Leipzig Goza is a favorite. I know it's a big favorite of Justin Phillips at Beer Table in Brooklyn. Jen, do you know a lot something about this beer? I, I do. I um, I mean, I'm not – I can't say that I've had a, a huge number of Gozas out there because there aren't that many to try. It's my understanding that this one – coming from Germany is one of the last like original ones left and then I have had a couple in fact in California I had um, let's see Cascade out of Portland Oregon was doing a summer goes ah the barrel yeah uh-huh. I and love that was those on guys tap of Tornado um, Tiny Bubbles from Hollister I think is technically a goes and I've also had one that um, with truffle salt from the brewery out of Los Angeles before out of a um, out of a bottle so it's an, interesting, it's an interesting style because it does involve salt. Mm-hmm. So there is like... Thank you. There's sort of... I, I, but I, like I said, I'm not a huge expert on the style. I'm just a fan whenever I get to try it because it's something totally Well, the different. reason I brought, I brought the, the goes is that when Matt said he was bringing rhubarb pie, I didn't know if it was going to be sweet mm-hmm. or savory. And my first thought was, he mentioned sours, and I said, well, you know, I've got these really nice big bottles of Leipzig. Lives, lives it's sour, but it's not... 
as sour as like a goose. So yeah. you could play with how much sour and yeah, the yeah, salt it, it just seemed to me that this would be a yeah, a really food. food friendly. It could go yeah. savory, it could go sweet. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like to make generalizations about beer. Some people don't, but I do. And well, you I have to have a hunch when you approach yeah. a, a pairing. You know, you can't you can't eat forever that yeah. we'd love to try yeah. sometimes, and you can't drink forever and still stay standing. So you got to have some sort of hunch and then go from there. I would imagine. Although I'm not the greatest food and uh, beer pairer, I wish I, I wish I were better at it. Like having that intuition. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit about experience, but Matt, how do you approach it with a competition at Saver? Are, are you going to go in with a hunch, or, or do you already go in with your beers ahead of time? Well, I've got several hunches already, and, and some of this just is from last night, busting out a few things uh, from the fridge just to sort of road test. I mean, I initially thought, you know, how would a nice stout do? I mean, you've got a very sweet rhubarb dish here uh-huh. with the pistachios. I thought maybe the, the caramel notes and the, the stout. roastiness, maybe? Yeah, but it turned out... Um, you know, it turned out to not not quite be there. Um, I tried a Did couple. Did one of, drown out the other? Did, was it, it that was, problem? Because that's that what you want to try to avoid. The the toasty notes were not in the right direction. They weren't in the okay. sweet direction. So that's why I brought um, a barrel aged stout today to try with it because I thought that would round it out and give it a little bit. And the more. bourbon sweetness mm-hmm. might the bourbon, yeah. work. So that's coming up. That's from Oblivion. We'll try that in a little bit. But uh, one of the things that surprised me, I thought a nice IPA might pair well with it, but it's it, it's totally in the wrong direction. Um, I know you've got some heady topper here. I, I just want to drink that out of principle because it's great <laughs> that it's available. What, the first week in, in New York, you said last week? Yeah, just last week uh, th- there was a limited supply that came in to select bars in New York. I'm pretty sure Blind Tiger got some. I know Jimmy's number 43 did. And I'm sure it disappeared I'm holding mine back. Mine will be uh, on sale this weekend at Jimmy's number 43. Check it out there uh, until it's <laughs> Eddie gone. Eddie Topper from Alchemist. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that brewery because you know, our, our buddy Dave Broderick uh, lives up there most of the year now, and we've heard about it. Um, Jen, have you been up to Alchemist, or were you there before the, I, the big hurricane? Yes, I year? have. I um, was up there one time. Uh, I didn't have a chance to have the whole experience and eat their food. Um but I drank a lot of their beer, and it was a great it was a great bar. Um, and I've been a fan of you know all the beers I've had the chance to to try, whether they're you know like little growlers that people would bring down to the Tiger and share, or now we have cans of Hetty Topper that are showing up in the market. Um, but uh, I haven't been up there since it sort of t- took on its new manifestation, which is a place called Prohibition Pig. And it's not the same ownership, but there is definitely a partnership between what Chad Rich and uh, Jeff Bauman are doing up there and um, John Kimmick and his wife, Jen. And and, um, the availability of the Alchemist beers now is going to be exclusive, uh, aside from what he decides to can, will be exclusively at Prohibition Pig. And he has the same, they hired the same staff back after Mm. the hurricane and everything. And so there is definitely a, a... kindred force in it even though prohibition pig is a barbecue restaurant it's got really nice cocktails from what i understand of what the plan was and really good beer too so it's still a destination it's different than the alchemist mm-hmm. but there's like a common thread that runs through uh, where do they make their beer do they have a separate brewery um yeah john had already started his production uh for, at the canning facility to be able to do these heady topper tall cans and when the hurricane hit um 
that was, I, I gather that his first batch was already produced. I don't know if it was in the cans or not, but that whole facility was not touched or bothered by the hurricane, thankfully. And yet he had a huge flooding problem at the Alchemist. And with that flood, uh, he lost his ability to insure the brewery. And so, because I think the brewery must have been downstairs. So It was. So it meant that in Vermont, it's one of those states where you can't own a brewery and a bar or restaurant. You have to be a brewer or you have to be a restaurateur, one or the other. And he, of course, is a brewer. So he didn't want to just own a restaurant in the space where the alchemist was. He owns the building with his wife. And so they needed to find an option. And, of course, their whole staff, who they love, was put out of work. And it was big. It was a mess. And so Chad, fortunately, had his business plan in order, was looking for the right space to do Prohibition Pig, his vision. And uh, he had even approached John Kimmick long before there was a hurricane and um, and actually asked him, you know, like, well, or actually just posed it, said, mm-hmm. if you ever decide you don't want to do both, keep me in mind. And so then it all came to pass. And now it's been a, a great partnership. I can't wait to get up there and actually see it with my own eyes, but I hear great things already. Mm. Well, there's a lot of awesome, you know, cult-like, you know, small breweries in America and uh, we'll raise our glasses to them because mm-hmm. you know they're up against a lot just to stay in business sometimes. Well, on this pairing note, so I had the Leipzig goes with with this awesome rhubarb pie. Yeah. Cheers, <laughs> cheers to you. Cheers, juicy. And uh, but I think my favorite I like with this uh, vintage Sam Adams Stony Brook Red. It, it's uh, a very mild sour. It's got the tart in there, but it's not um, a face melter, as I like to call them, which I think works because it would overpower the rhubarb. Does, does everybody have that? The, the Here, rhubarb. let me hand this around. Yeah, I think this that actually cuts through the sweetness of, of the pie um, better than the goes. I think the goes might, might have worked with more of a savory dish. My concern is this year everybody's going to be bringing the thunder with the sours. I mean, that was that was really... It, it was a great pairing. They just pair so well with food. But also, people love them right now. And if they haven't had them, right. you want to introduce it with food because it really cuts that. I mean, not yeah. everybody's going to sit down like me at four in the afternoon and bust open some, you know, lambic or some right. goose. But yeah, you you might. Know, it's an acquired taste. But well, it's also interesting because acidity plays such a role. And, of course, in wine, acidity plays a role. So it kind of sets it up for some nice pairings that are reminiscent of what wine can do. Where did you get this this beard, Matt? Have you had it for a while? The Sam is is relatively new. They just started their barrel room series um, two years ago. I, I was up there filming with Jim, and he walked me through the barrel room. It's a beautiful room, and it's in their original um, brew facility. I believe it's called Jamaica Plains um, in Boston. And he had these giant fooders that were they were just churning out what he called mother funk. And so we got a couple of pitchers full. Um, of some of this mother funk just straight from the vat and we were just taking that right to the face as we were filming. I mean, it's just so much fun to get up with that guy because he really, you know, loves his craft. Um, but but lately they've started bottling this. Not only have they done the experimental series, which they did um, a goes as well, um, as well as some other really esoteric types of beer, but they're doing the Bear Room series. So um, it, it, it draws heavily on what um, comes out of those... Um, those cultures, I mean, I suspect we may talk more about that in a little bit. But um, but definitely a really, I was surprised when I had this beer because um, of, of how well, I mean, I, I'm from northern Illinois, so my dad always goes up there and brings me New Glarus, clandestine shipments of, of New Glarus. And uh, when I was over in Belgium, the, the funky stuff, um, 
at Motor Lambic was what really stood out to me the most. So the fact that some of this is coming out of uh, coming out of a Boston area right now is is pretty great. That's cool. I'll tell you what, we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes with a calling guest from the West Coast, and we'll talk more about beer and fermentation on Beer Sessions Radio. Okay, and welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. To learn more about beer, beer styles, test your beer IQ, and find out about the beer cloud, go to GreatBrewers.com. We're also supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 34 New York City beer bars that serve, promote, and support good beer. Check out GoodBrewSeal.com. In studio guest tonight, we got Jen Swartman from The Blind Tiger and uh, Matt Bean, editor for Men's Health. And he's the host of Spike TV's The Playbook. And uh, we're also going to have a call-in guest, Candace Santaferrero from Frog Leaps, Leaps Winery. And we have Claudia Joy Peel and Claire Harton in the studio. And we're talking about fermentation uh, in a few minutes. So uh, Matt's here. He's uh, warming up for Savor, that really cool uh, beer event in Washington, D.C., coming up in June. When is it? Uh, it's over the weekend, uh, June 8th and 9th. And uh, the session that I'm a part of is... Probably the last event on that Saturday, so it gets kind of rowdy. Uh, you definitely got some people that are walking sideways by that point. So you're going to be in the Taste Off Challenge at Saver. That's right. Um, I believe it's from 9.45 until um, 10.30. So we've been ta- you brought in a, a sweet rhubarb pie. We've tasted it against a Goza, against a nice barrel-aged kind of sour red from Sam Adams. And uh, how do you go about approaching this when you're at the, the competition at Saver? Do you have time to, to plan this out, or do you have to just grab beers and Well, we've got to get our uh, picks in uh, by tomorrow, as a matter of fact, which is why this was such great timing. I get uh, all these great minds here in the room to talk through this, and hopefully none of the competition is listening, um, because they're going to they're gonna see which way the winds are blowing. Hopefully but, you've uh, got a few tricks up your sleeve. Yeah, you're I'm, maybe I'm misdirecting. Us, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely looking to pair this with some, uh, some Michelob Ultra. <laughs> uh, anyway, what's you said you brought a stout as well? Uh, yeah, let's give pairing. that a try. Yeah, so so far for me, I mean, Jen, what, what, what's your favorite pairing so far? With so the far, I think pine? that Sam Adams barrel aged, yeah. nice level of sourness in it, and it does work with the rhubarb. So I'm a fan of that. But 
I'm kind of curious. What you said this was a barrel aged stout. Yeah, so this is an oak aged stout fermented with vanilla beans. And um, who's this from? It's from Dover, Delo- uh, Delaware based um, Old Dominion. Okay. I've actually never had this before, but I'm looking forward to how it tastes. Because as I mentioned, the, the stout itself, I tried an oatmeal stout last night and it just wasn't the right. Right. Um, no, I kind. like the barrel aged yeah. idea at least. Let's see how it plays right. out. Jen, have you heard of Old Dominion before? I have. I'm not um, super familiar, but they've been around for an awfully long time, I think. Uh, you know, it's cool. This rhubarb pie, it's on my napkin. I have a fork. <laughs> and it's kind of like mushing into the napkin. And I'm, I just had some of that, and now I'm going to have uh, the stout. Do you, do you see what I mean? The, the stout has that that toasted flavor that it, it, it washes away the rhubarb well, but it also completely dominates the sweetness. Well, it's like the vanilla. I mean, it's like vanilla bean. That's what I taste. This is some things that we do. And uh, Matt, you're really good at it. This, this is a lot of fun uh, checking this out. Let's go to the next step. I mean, we've got a sour beer, you know, this barrel-aged red from Sam Adams. And we've got some people coming on the air and in the room tonight who are kind of, in one sort or another, fermentation experts. And Claudia Keel, come on up to the microphone. Uh, hey, we know Jimmy. you for a lot of things, but... Um, what is fermentation? Because it takes many forms. So, yes, most people think of beer when they think of fermentation, but most of the food that we have that we know and like, like even olives and cheese and yogurt and other kinds of things, they're made with the same microorganisms and yeasts sometimes, or some differences. But um, these microorganisms is what we owe all the great flavors of many of our foods. So in a natural state, uh, fermentation is good for us, right? Oh, yeah. Because they add actually more, they preserve the food, as we know in beer, but they also um, add extra nutrients. So there are different nutrients when a food is fermented. What kind of nutrients? Well, um, in general, non-alcoholic ones for sure. Um, There's enzymes, there's added B vitamins, which is also Mm -hmm. in beer. Mm -hmm. And um, it preserves the vitamin C and other kinds of nutrients that are already there in the food rather than degrade them. So you get a lot of sometimes vitamins as well. And you get probiotics, natural microorganisms. Good for your digestion. And then we get the good flavors, of course. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Matt, does this ever come up in, in your travels? Do you ever talk about fermentation? I actually worked in a bio lab in college. So one of the organisms that we used was uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Mm-hmm. Um, we used it primarily to make um, point mutations in um, the G2M transition of cell replication. It, basically, I tried to cure cancer, and I didn't. So then I just went into journalism. <laughs> Um, but we had these grand plans at the time to try to try to mess with Saccharomyces cerevisiae and splice in other um, fun substances to see what we could get it to to um, emit out in the out in the wild, um, and it, it failed miserably. Um, but uh, but this, the, on the topic of fermentation, one of the things that I've been paying a lot of attention to lately are are bugs and Pediococcus and um, obviously Brett and the challenges that some brewers face with trying to keep uh, their their sour production sanitized or at least distinct from their, their standard beer production because they, they're very persistent um, Cross-contamination is a huge yeah. uh, fear. So, so much of making beer is keeping things clean, right? Mm. You're working with some kind of yeast and you want to have a consistent outcome. So, when you're not dealing with that, you're, you're, you're opening it to a can of worms, which 
some of us like. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like this red. I like, I like the goza. The you think the goza, is the goza made with, like, some kind of wild yeast, or is, is it more of a controlled fermentation? Well, there's a whole series. I mean, beers were all originally wild fermentations mm-hmm. that they, um, that became cultured, and they used those. But, so there's a whole, um, tradition of still wild fermented beers so you just sort of take your chances with what's in the air. Claudia this is a question I've been dying to ask you okay <laughs> so let's I've, I've read some you know fantasy children's literature okay so in the old <laughs> days is it true if, if an apple dropped on the ground and, and it kind of went through a fermentation then a deer ate it and they stumbled and people saw that perhaps the deer was having a good time w- would that really happen could just apples on the ground start fermenting yeah and if you I, ate them would you get a buzz actually all very ripe fruit contain some alcohol so and most fermented food in very like minuscule amounts so but certainly very ripe fruit t- contains more alcohol and animals can get drunk just like we can <laughs> and then what about the bear story so i'm a bear i see there's like honey and it's in a hollow log and there's been a lot of water and it's been sitting there and it gets natural yeast and the bear goes in and starts drinking it and he starts getting drunk D- could that happen too just a naturally fermented mead like that yes yeah, and um, I've heard stories where they've seen um, animals and bears seemingly drunk. So um, I don't know all the details, but certainly that happens naturally in nature. Some people surmise that that's basically how it all started. They observed it happening in nature. And, and I can't think of the specifics, but I've heard stories where they watch certain species that would go back for more. Yeah. So they would, they would naturally, they'd try it, just, you know, to try it, and then they'd find that if they had a choice, they would go towards the alcohol. So. There are certain animals that do consciously ferment their, their food in some way or fashion. It could be, and it, they could even be alcoholic food. So like an what? example. Yeah, yeah. examples. Um, <laughs> I didn't prepare that, but I, I do know that you know, even when you, um, even the idea of the squirrel burying their nuts, mm-hmm. it sort of goes through a, a slight fermentation and they can take it up. But um, I actually don't know excuses, I mean excuses, um, examples offhand, but um, they're well documented in, nat- you know, in a lot of scientific... Well, for, and naturally it makes sense because they're preserving the food. So if they, yeah. if they only have limited supplies certain times of the year, yeah. if there was a natural way that they could evolve and save it for later, makes a lot of sense. I mean, other fermentables that we know are things like kimchi, which I love, and I still think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Much more interesting than sauerkraut, yeah. <laughs> so but that's be- all with like, the natural yeasts that are on the cabbage and the other vegetables, and it gives this great flavor. Just like you get this great flavor in beer. Do, do you make anything that's fermentable? Do you, or do you oh, make yeah. any special healing brews or anything? Yeah, well, I really want to get, you know, the old tradition of beers was not just using hops and um, barley, but using a lot of herbs. And they both had medicinal values and maybe even some aphrodisiac, aphrodisiac, yeah. slightly narcotic, um, <laughs> um, and other, you know, constituents in them but um but for food i actually um ferment a lot of different kinds of cabbage krauts um and kimchi most cultures there's cortito in mexico with different and there are different spices with every culture um and there's a lot of what they consider non-alcoholic brews like kombucha and other kinds of water kefir and things like that they might have even a little bit of alcohol depending on how long they go you know, actually, at the Blind Tiger, um, one of the challenges when our our chef, who's been with us now for over a year, came on, um, that Dave posed, Dave Broderick posed to him was he wanted to see as much 
fermented food incorporated in. So the challenge is hmm. to try to incorporate an element that it has something to do with fermentation. Now it can be loose. You know, he cooks with beer, but he has incorporated kimchi and he's made some like um, uh, cucumber relishes and things like that lately. So it's kind of he's always pointing out the the fermented element, trying to incorporate more and more of that into the menu. Yeah. One of the things I'm really excited about right now is the growing um, adoption of wild and spontaneous fermentation techniques here in the States. I mean, you go over and check out Cantillon, and they, they just are this temple to the process. Uh, and they've got the cool ship upstairs with I just you know, got the back louvers. You did? Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you can find that now up at Allagash. Um, Actually, um, Jeff O'Neill's building a cool ship in Peekskill, much closer, too. So it's so, becoming yeah. increasing, and apparently our ambient bugs can keep up. I mean, the stuff they're putting out, uh, I'm not going to say it's like Cantillon just yet, but uh, it's it's getting there. Well, it'll never be exactly like that, sure. but, but that doesn't mean that um, a great spontaneously fermented beer or a bunch of them mm-hmm. couldn't be produced, especially in environments that do have a lot of maybe fruit trees like Brussels used to have in its region. And all that. Absolutely. Hey, um, I, I think we have a guest from a calling guest. Candace, are you on the air? I am. And I've been having so much <laughs> trouble keeping silent <laughs> because Welcome. We, um, we actually deal with a lot of uh, naturally fermented things in um in the place where I work, so this is very exciting. So tell, tell us some of the naturally fermented things you deal with. I'm sorry? What, what are some of the naturally fermented things that you deal with? So, first of all, our wine. I am the, um, I am the farm uh, production and um, market coordinator at Frog's Leap Winery. So we've got, um, on top of all of the wine that we make, um, we also have a five-acre farm on the property. Um, we are not certified biodynamic, but we, um, we participate and use all of the biodynamic preparations in, um, all of our, in all of our planting and in our entire farm ecosystem. So a lot of that also deals with, uh, fermentation in the soil and, um, so yeah, we've got soil fermentation, um, all of our wine is also made with, um, uh, we don't inoculate any of our wine, so our fermentation barn in which we ferment all of our wine um, is uh, now a naturally fermenting barn, so um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, I also deal with a lot of uh, the plants that grow on our um, facilities and figuring out what to do with them, so making um, lacto-fermented krauts and pickles, and, you know, we've got five acres of growth, so we've got two acres of orchards, so there's lots of cider to be made. Um, We've got, uh, now I would say about 14 hives on two different vineyard properties, so lots of mead to be made. and, you know, those are things that we don't necessarily, um, you know, sell outside of our, our property. They kind of stay um, So you make in, a, in you make a natural mead. That's kind yeah. of what I was talking about with the bears and stuff. So I was going to say, is there a simple recipe if I'm at home? What could I make and just kind of real simple natural fermentation and get some alcohol? Would that be mead? Would that be the first step? Oh, is this? I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Candace, um, I was asking. Well, yeah, mead was arguably um, the, was the, honey was the first 
discovery of fermentation in, in kind of the natural world. So, um, you know, definitely. So how long has, uh, has Frog's Leap been around, and how long have you guys been biodynamically farming? So um, we are not certified Demeters. Um, we farm more biodynamically in our uh, garden. Um, our vineyards are all organically farmed, um, and we dry farm all of our vineyards. Um, but Frogsweep has been around um, since uh, the early 80s. Okay. And we've been on our property now in Rutherford since 94, um, upon which we've uh, restored an old, what was an old fermentation barn from the late um, the late 19th century. Um, we've restored uh-huh. it back to its original purpose. So is that where, is that where the, so that's where all the natural yeast is that's inoculating mm-hmm. your wine? In that old Absolutely. barn? Ah, so Absolutely. see, we talk about these environments. And don't kill the spiders. <laughs> yeah, don't clean yeah. it too much. Yeah. So one of the talks, uh, Candice, this is Claire, one of the things that brought us into Jimmy's studio for beer sessions was we started a kind of round robin by email with Claudia Keel and Jimmy of, of sort of all these benefits of fermentation and beer being one of the sort of most prominent ones that's lasted through the history. So we look back all the way to ancient civilizations. The first recorded recipe is a beer recipe. And, and we go up to people like Louis Pasteur, and he actually, according to Paul Mankiewicz, the, the Gaia soil scientist, tells us about how it was actually him studying beer and wine microbes that he actually comes up with his medical discoveries. There's sort of this long history, but we've lost so much of our fermentation um, notion of how fermentation actually and what it does to our guts and how it's really health beneficial. And so we kind of gotten, we pulled Claudia into the discussion because she can help us look at that aspect. But kind of we're, we're in the time right now where we're all recognizing that beer and wine are actually in, and some artisanal cheeses and now the rise in um, kimchi and all these other fermented foods that we're kind of re-embracing fermentation as a role in our diet. Um, and luckily it didn't die out through really beer and wine were two of the and vinegars were some of the central uh, places and um, I guess that was one of the things we talked about and Claudia could jump in on this one just how there's this rise right now in a reappreciation of probiotics and the health benefits that come through fermented foods yes it's uh... but Candice do you want to say anything to that yeah you're your generation, Candace, how are you? How are you seeing it amongst you and your friends out there in California, having moved from Brooklyn? Um, the sort of rise of appreciation of uh, fermentation and foods. It's fascinating. I mean, I think the Bay Area in general is just a really fascinating place for food. Um, Napa itself has definitely been around for a while, but there's um, you know the next generation of winemakers. They're they're making bread from cultures that they've been cultivating for, you know, years and years, and they're, you know, fermenting these wild ferments in their own kitchens, and and, and I've, I'm beginning to see, actually, a lot more interest in the younger generation, especially of winemakers, and I have a, a handful of brewers out here who are really interested in the natural fermentation and the wild fermentation thing. Um, and you know, it's it, it's one of those things. I think that generationally, um, you know, it's 
it there is no line for it generationally there's there's no denying the fact that fermentation is a living process it's a it's a live it's a life cycle and so i think once you especially once you start to talk to people about fermentation out here um it's it, it gets people really excited <laughs> And somebody will always bring up, you know, the kombucha culture that they have sitting in their in their cabinets or, you know, the, the sourdough bread that they're making. But it's, you know, it's all around us. It's uh, truly all awesome. around us. So. Hold on, Ken, just for one minute. We're just going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Sorry, guys. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought. Today, staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs all night long. Hi, this is Michael Gonzalez, writer from Complex.com, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Jen Swerber from Blind Tiger, Matt Bean from Men's Health. Did you ever write for Playboy, Matt? I never have, but there's a lot of cross-pollination between men's magazines, so you never know. Well, the, the funny thing was that ICP, the ICP.com, one of the award winners this year at the Book Awards was a, an author. He wrote a story called Beer Wars, which was in Playboy last year. It was about Steve Hindy at Brooklyn Brewery. It's pretty cool. So you're, you're a writer. You write for many things. Um, how often do you actually get to write about beer? Well, we do have a great blog over at uh, menshealth.com called Guy Gourmet, which, um, you know, among other things, was nominated for a digital Ameri- um, ASME Award, American Society of Magazine Editors. It's kind of like our Oscars. Um, and among other things, we cover beer, wine, and spirits on that blog. So that's, that's kind of an inexhaustible opportunity um, to write because uh, you're never going to run out of megabytes on the, on the interwebs. Um, but I, you know, I do try and, and am trying more and more to write about the culture around beer, not just the beer itself. There, there are folks out there that are far better at um, understanding beer, tasting beer, certainly making beer. If you've had any of the stuff that I've put together at three in the morning, but uh, the, the culture around it and the people around it, I think, is what um, what I'm really interested in the most. That's great. Well, Jen, um, we've got our heady topper now, Alchemist. Yum. We have two cases at Jimmy's number 43. So, so, so we're so drinking yeah. 25% of your uh, allotment for New York City. Then. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I of feel very beer? lucky. Listen, I, I want to go from fermentation to cult beers because there's always these beers. You can't get them in your state. 
For New York, it's Russian River and uh, I don't know. You can get those in Pennsylvania right out where yeah. I have a house, though. But I don't um, think you get a whole... But I don't think they have a okay. huge supply even there. It's no, not like it's always sitting on the shelf no, just get, waiting for us. You, to- you don't end up with the elder. I mean, and if they do have the elder, they put it on on their yeah. their down days so that they bring people I, in and it goes immediately. I Which just is came fun. From, I just came from a liquor store in Los Angeles where... Um, they had a, a stack of elder, and I said, "Hey, what? do you get this very often?" And he goes, "People call in every Tuesday <laughs> to see if they've gotten it because they know if they do get it, it's going to come in on yeah. Tuesday." And that Tuesday, I happened to grab a couple. Well, of about Culpier, so this Alchemist, Matt, you said that you've been to the Alchemist in Vermont. You've had this at the brew pub, sure. the old brew pub. Yeah. So, what I mean, do you think about it in cans? Like, if you've got a Culpier, is, is it worth shipping it to other states? Is is it worth you know, putting it in a can, and how does it come across? Well, I think, you know, the question that you're asking is ultimately one, it's a business decision by the breweries. Um, New Glarus is a great example. They expanded to Chicago, and from what I hear, everybody had their hand out. Um, and they just didn't, you know... They, they did they, an expansion that actually came out this way for a while, a long oh, really? time ago, and they retreated from all that, yeah, and now said, it's Screw just it. Let's just be awesome at making beer in the state in which we live. It'll be fresh. It'll be to people that we know. And if anybody know. wants it from outside, let them yeah. clamor. Let them let smuggle them it to, in. Yeah. Which let him, let him come to us. So a reason the, uh, to go to Wisconsin. The Heady Topper, I think, is a fantastic beer in the can. You know, there's definitely definitely a lot of um, verbiage on the can encouraging you to not pour it out of the can to retain that sort of hop aroma. I don't agree with that, by the way. Uh, you know, it's marketing. <laughs> but so they're saying um, you should just drink it straight from the can. Yeah, straight I don't think you can, can smell enough out of that little hole that you're yeah, that two, you're drinking through. More. I yes. really don't. I think you're actually losing a aroma, lot of the flavor. The culpier guys. The, the aroma. The Roman flavor components are. That you brew them in separately anyway, right? So theoretically, you're going to continue to save the the, the flavor I mean, it, saver. Will, it's will been be in saved there. in the can, and then you should drink it as soon as you open it. And I think you should pour it into a glass and move it around and let those aromas Certainly. like be there I for think, you. I think that a can now. Entirety. I've been convinced a can's a, a, a good delivery vessel. It's for great sure. delivery vessel, and I, I like it in a glass. Yeah, in the glass deals. is great. And here's the thing about IPAs, though, um, they're different. From you know another cult brewery that I go to all the time when I'm back in the Midwest is Three Floyds because they yep. have Dark Lord Day and for a while they had uh, Alpha King or Zombie Dust and I remember going to get a case of Zombie Dust. Somebody was telling me that they were selling for twenty six bucks for a twelve ounce <laughs> bottle wow. on eBay, which of course many of the brre- few breweries will encourage you to sell their wares on eBay. Um, but exactly there are all these people lined up that, that you could tell they didn't know anything about beer. They were there to just buy and a case. What I'm saying is maybe the cult beers aren't really worth running after. Well, what I, I, let me, say, let me yeah. finish. What I want to say is there's so many great new breweries in, in so many regions. And, uh, you know, you kind of want to drink local. But I want to bring Candace back in out in California because rather than just having a cult beer from another state, I want to have a mead that Candace <laughs> makes at uh, Frog's Leap in California. Would you so do that for me? I'm actually drinking a Pliny right now that I just went up to uh, my like local liquor store and picked up. It's <laughs> As so you guys good. are talking about Rubbing this, it in. But, um, but we do have uh, we've kind of just brewed some mead. Um, me and and some of the other farmers that I work with. Uh, How did it and, turn out? Um, you know, it's an experiment. We've been doing some experiments with mead and um, with cider. So, so that's kind of an old, how did you make um, if you made it just tell us just walk us through how you made it because I want to know how to make like a simple farm mead a simple farm mead well um, you basically uh, I mean you start with 
you start with harvesting the honey straight out of the <laughs> out of the uh, hives, which is quite a process. That takes you know about a day or so. You got to spin it straight off of those um, off of uh, the. Uh, uh, so it's nice raw honey. Yeah, coming right <laughs> exactly. out of the um, And then and then you kind of just let it sit. I mean, you. Did you put I, it so in the, the same? The that I've done is I've added I've added other fruits to it, so other fruit juices. So you get a little bit of the liquid, um, and you let it kind of ferment that way. So it, the the um, honey acts more as just a, a sweetener for the other fruit. Did, so like a like a cider mead. Did you uh, oh. ferment it in the magical barn? <laughs> <laughs> In the magical barn, barn, um, you know where the where the wine. <laughs> okay, okay. Did it have the the benefit of all that like amazing stuff that's that's uh, in yeah. the barn fermenting your wine? So, right there, it's proprietary. That's pretty cool. So you let it sit, and then yeah. you, you just let it sit for a while. How long do you let it sit for? Um, we kind of just let it sit for. I mean, we've let some of it sit for a couple years and then we've still opened it I mean it's it's pretty good for a while we've got some mead cider that's been sitting in the back of our cold storage for like two years now and we're like okay we have to have a keg party <laughs> a mead keg party <laughs> um, but we, we typically bottle it um, about six months after after going it going through the fermentation um, we, we've fermented it mostly in stainless steel that's awesome um, Candace I'm gonna ask we Claudia we haven't done the barrel stuff yet so Cool. I'm going to ask Claudia, too, because, Claudia, is there anything that you make uh, with the fermentation process that has alcohol in it? A, well, a quick recipe you can give us. Yeah. Um, basically, you can make a simple meat at your home by mixing the honey with water and letting the natural yeast within the honey ferment. And you can put it in an airlock. So that's pretty raw, simple. Raw honey, Claudia? Raw honey. Yeah, that's important in this case because it has... So this is something enzyme. that a bear could have drunk. So Some, from a, bear, a, a hollow I'm sure oak lots tree. and lots of bears have Invite drunk. Invite all your bear friends over. <laughs> so we, we hope to learn from the... My lesson is hope to learn from the bears and the deer and be able to just munch Stumble on fermented apples and Just you know, go out there tasting in the world, Jimmy. You'll you know, and, something new. And, and maybe we'll inspire Matt to win mm. the taste off at Savor. So Matt, one more time. Tell us about Savor. When is it? And how can people learn more about it? Absolutely. Check out... Um, the Brewers Association. Also check out, um, let's see here, savercraftbeer.com. Um, the sessions are sold out, unfortunately, but I'm sure uh, if you... Hey, Matt, if you what's, you what's your together, Twitter handle? MattBean1. At MattBean1. And we're at beer underscore sessions and the radio. All right, so Good Brazil Bars in New York City, uh, Stone Extravaganza coming up. Wednesday the 23rd at Standings Bar. Uh, Fibro Picnic this weekend. Uh, we're hosting it on Governor's Island, New York City. FibroPicnic.com. And Kelso Beer Night at Stag's Head, Midtown Manhattan, Wednesday, May 3rd. Tonight we're on our way to Brooklyn Brewery. It's the inaugural party for the, the New York City Brewers Guild. And they're going to tell you that soon they will be changing New York Craft Beer Week for the better. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com. We've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. And thanks to our guests. We've got Jen, Claudia, Candace, Claire, and Matt, and more for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. First, our buddies from UK, Garen Baker, our, our best listener, came all the way from England. Garrett, say hello. Come on. All the way just to see us. 
Hello. Gary, <laughs> what, what town are you from in England? Um, uh, just outside London, but I live in Plymouth now. Plymouth. So yeah. we have a guy that listens to us in England all the time, and uh, yeah. he's one of our biggest fans. And thanks so much. And again, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor. Guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. It's his last night. He's moving to Seattle. If you got a job in the beer industry, beer industry in Seattle, Brett Thompson's the guy. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Some of my songs I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.